everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Don't Quit Your Day Job if you need money, but maybe quit your day job if you feel like you're Bill Gates. Uh, I'm Paul, and uh, Mark is here. Hello. <laughs> Mark Mark is in L.A. as always, and we are back to talk about more cool stuff, um, especially with Mark being uh, the greatest living guitar player that I personally know, which I think is accurate, <laughs> right, Mark? I, I don't know. I don't know all the guitar players you know, but I'm sure some are better than me. How about I'm the best guitar player sitting in this bedroom Yes, right okay, that's... <laughs> Fair, fair enough. Speaking of other guitar players, when you first got to L.A. in the late 80s, who were who were some of like the bigger names that you saw like walking around Sunset? Like, did you see George Lynch just walking around? Interesting. I did. Uh, my, my friend had this band called Cold. Well, actually, they were called Ferrari at the time. And they were playing the whiskey. And I went down and. George Lynch was there, and I mean, he was one of my favorite guitar players, and he was so drunk. I remember him punching the ceiling. And later on, my friend, the guitar player Eric Ammons, who to this day is still one of my best friends, he goes, dude, I think we just lost our singer Lynch. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, dude, George walked backstage door. He's wasted, and he goes to Oni. He goes, hey, do you want to play in a Ferrari or drive one? Right. There. And I got an autograph from him that night, which I still have, and it says, I met George Lynch. He's a real asshole. Signed, George Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So he was just like – he was just at, at the club, but he was – Dokken was already well-known then. You know? Oh, yeah, and this was like 88 – well, actually, he was putting – he was quitting Dokken and putting Lynch Mob together and needed a singer. So he was out scouting and hunting singers. So that's why he was there that night because he had heard about Oni. And uh, that was the night he stole Oni. <laughs> and then what about guys like Warren Demartini or, or Dweezil Zappa or – I mean, were they just around? Were guitar players – I know there's a lot of un unknown guys around, but what about these known guys? You know, the funny thing is I think a lot of guitar players are introverts, so I don't think a lot of them are out hanging, doing the thing, you know? I mean, you'd see, like, the rock star kind of guitar player guys. Like, I'd see, you know, Eric Turner from Warrant, or I'd see CC DeVille would be hanging out all the time. But, you know, like, Warren Martini, you know, other than seeing him at his shows and, and other events, he's never out, you know? Or... Uh, um, but like Dweezil Zappa, I had a fortuitous time. I got to go hang out up at the house with him and his dad before Frank passed a couple times because I have a well, we had a mutual friend named Blue Saracino who did a few solo records and he'd come out to L.A. to play. And instead of getting a hotel, he'd just stay on my couch. And one night he goes, hey, you want to go up to my buddy Dweezil's house? And I'm like, Dweezil Zappa? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. No, and so we go up there and Frank was like mixing tapes and we went down and we got to play all his guitars and ate pizza with Frank Zappa at like 2 a.m. in his kitchen. And he's sitting in a bathrobe telling us these stories and went, went and did it a couple of times. And it was really cool. And Dweezil at that point was still a huge Eddie fan. And he had Eddie was his buddy who lived down the street and he had all these videos that he would bring him. So I know there's live shows of early Van Halen because he showed me some of them that I was just like oh my god dude where do you get this footage he's like Ed brings it over and drops it off he and my dad are tight <laughs> like wow uh, uh, speaking of blues uh, Saraceno he's my cousin as you know we've we've talked about that before on my my dad's side it's my my dad's nephew right? Um, right and I hadn't seen him since we were all in high school so really I hadn't seen him since then um, but have you talked to blues I mean I know he does like soundtracks and stuff now right 
Yeah, he still stays busy. He's still in the spotlight as far as that goes. I know he's made a really good name for himself in the in the business. You know, like he got the gig with Poison and then used that to help branch out to all the the stuff he's been doing now um, as far as like video game music and Fox Sports News and things. Like you hear some guitar sometimes and I'm like, wow, that's definitely blues because he's just like ripping, you know. I mean, blues has always been probably one of the best guitar players I know. I mean, the guy's amazingly talented and he can sing great he can program drums he can play bass and and he's the nicest dude you ever want to meet and he actually sold me my first electric guitar that i ever bought with my own money when he was working at creative strings he played it and made it sound like god and i'm like yeah, i'll take it and then i got home i'm like this doesn't have any of that stuff in there that he was doing <laughs> was, was that the same guitar that you later sold to me because i my first guitar i bought was a blue kramer striker from from you it was actually a Washburn guitar that I, I can't remember. I think I traded it in for a BC Rich is what happened. But it was that was the Washburn that I bought from him. But but yeah, I mean, I used to see him at Creative all the time, and that's kind of where we became friendly. And have you ever seen Paul Gilbert around? Like back in the day, you know, not not more recently, but like back back then. I know he was at GIT and stuff like that. Well, I I never really saw him out that much. Um, uh, Billy Sheehan a you know, I've, I've gotten to jam with him and he, he'd go to those jam nights. But I think Paul Gilbert's kind of an introvert. Like I'd see him at the NAMM show. So that was the most I'd see him out. But I've never like saw him walking on the strip or going to see another band or anything like that. All right. Cool. So let's jump ahead now to the Bang Tango years. Uh, okay. So you were you were with Bang Tango. Um, we heard about the the tour, the the tour that ended in Germany. We've heard about that now, and but but you stayed with at least the singer as Bang Tango through '99, right? Is that oh, yeah. is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we came back, and I'm sure I've already mentioned in the last one about we went out with Tesla with kind of another band, Hurricane Alice, as our backing band, and myself and Joby and the two guys from Bang Tango. Of course, we were all Bang Tango. So we got back from that tour and. We had some success, and Kyle, the bass player, was like, "Joe, I want to, I want to do it again." I'm, I'm, you know, it's probably like a six months later or so after we got back, and we were kind of regrouping, figuring out what we were going to do. And Kyle decided he wanted to to play again and do it. So he was back in the band, and uh, at this point, we got a call from this booking agency and said, "Hey, we got a tour of the states. It's three months long. You're going to start in Arizona." and go all the way to like Maine and come all the way back. And you, you know, you'll be back after, right after Christmas. And I think we left, actually we left November 1st and we got back in January because wow. the night Halloween, I went and saw kiss on their reunion tour with makeup on. I remember going to, uh, it was uh, Irvine Meadows, an old an old venue out here that was really cool. And Gene, when he did his thing where he goes to the top of the venue, the moon was right behind him. And me and my buddy are like, "Oh my god!" And I'm like, "Going the next day, I'm leaving to get on a tour bus and go for go do this for like you know three months." Yeah, I'm like, "This cool. is amazing." Um, so at that point, it, to give you some crazy stories of the music business, so so we have this tour booked, we're rehearsing for it, and at this point, obviously, we need a drummer and another guitar player because the bass player's back. I'm still in the band, so we have three, you know, members, but we need a, a drummer and we need another guitar player. So the other guitar player was a friend of the bass player's. He brought him in. This guy named Dan Aon. He was awesome. Dan was great, and then we had this drummer, and uh, he's gone on to do other things, and he rehearsed with us a bunch, and then. Literally, the last rehearsal before we were leaving that night, the tour bus was picking us up at 7 a.m. to head to Arizona for our first show. <laughs> he decided to demand 
more money. He said, I will not go on the road with as much as everybody else is getting paid. You know, I have to work harder. I'm the drummer. My tech gets more money. I get more money. And the singer and bass player were like, we were freaking out. Honestly, we were like, (laughs) we don't need to give them. Everything is budgeted out. You know, I mean, we all had our, you know, techs and we had a tour bus and we, we needed to, you know, be sensible with it. And so he basically pulled the plug. Dude goes, I'm not going. So we at like four or five in the morning, still up, knowing the tour bus is showing up in three hours. We're like, we, we want to go. We don't care. We found uh, the, the uh, L.A. Weekly used to have ads in back and it had an ad for this drummer. And we called him up and his name was Rob Jones. He ended up playing a band called The Flies and he still plays locally. And he uh, came down, played two songs with us and we're like, dude. Go home, pack your bags, be back here. We'll hold the bus off. I think we left late. We left at like 11 or 12 instead of 7 a.m. So we got to the gig and had to go on stage. Like it was like that. But he joined the band literally within like three hours of getting on a tour bus and leaving for three months and did it and and pulled it off. You know, the first show was a little rough because Kyle, the bass player, was very uh, picky and expects things to be a certain way. And the drummer was learning the set on the tour bus. He had the back lounge to himself. He had it set up like his drums <clears throat> and he's learning the songs. And I mean, he pulled it off. It was pretty amazing to play to a, you know, a full house with a brand new drummer who we basically played two songs with before we left. <laughs> that is so crazy. So did you like get off the tour bus and walk on stage because you're probably not doing full sound checks because you're not headliner. So you're doing line checks or something and then playing. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, I, uh, so on this, on a side note, the Warrant guys and the LA Guns guys couldn't have been more gracious and nicer guys, especially knowing the situation we were in. So whenever they could help us out as far as giving us a sound check or giving us more time, they actually did. So there was a bunch of times, not this first show, because we did show up so late that it was like we got there, we went to the dressing room, our techs ran our stuff on stage. And it was like, I, I remember like getting in there and like getting comfortable, like changing my shirt. And then they're like, dude, you're on. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, oh. and I walk out, you know, there's probably 1200 people out there and I'm like, okay, let's, you know, we're all like, there was curtains at this. It was the electric ballroom and it was a big place in Phoenix. And I remember going like this, I, I, I all five of us were like, this is going to be interesting. We've never played. I, we, we had like a 12 song set and we played two songs with him before. So we had 10 songs that we'd never even played with this guy before. And he got on stage and pulled it off somehow, you know? So this cool. was, so was this your biggest, so I, I think we didn't mention who it was with. It was Warrant and L.A. Guns. Uh, before there were two versions of L.A. Guns, this was the original version of L.A. Right. Guns. But Tracy wasn't in the in the band anymore at this point, right? Well, oh, yeah. Oh, he, well, he was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Phil, Phil Lewis, Tracy, Tracy Guns. Uh, Riley and Johnny Cripp. They were a one guitar band at this point. They had Johnny Cripp on bass. Okay. So was this your biggest, you had played big shows with Doc, Doc's House Mob and all of that, but was this your biggest like tour, your biggest experience up to this point? Well, I mean, we played theaters with Tesla, so we did have, you know, two to 5,000 people at those shows. So now we were more like, we were between 1,000 and 4,000 these shows. So as, as far as a lengthy tour, it was definitely like the biggest people I was playing to in the biggest theaters I was playing. But the Tesla thing, which, you know, just ran up and down the West Coast, was all pretty good-sized crowds. Okay. So okay. that was cool. So it was a, a couple of months, and you have a brand-new drummer, and this is 
uh, you're you're a young guy. So were you living rock star tour bus lifestyle at this point? I mean, I don't know if your mom's going to listen to this, but but what's happening? <laughs> Mama, sorry. Uh, you know, it, it was it was kind of what you'd expect. You know, I mean, we were living on the bus. We'd get a hotel room every couple days. So sometimes, you know, just to save money, we'd shower. You know, at the at the, the venue we play at sometimes, you know, and I, I got really comfortable with living and sleeping on the bus, you know, I mean, some of my best nights sleep were, you know, a 10 hour ride from Cleveland, uh, you know, Pennsylvania to Philadelphia or something like that. That was always, always a nice, a nice time on a tour bus. Um, and yeah, it's a rolling party, you know, you pull into town and it's funny, you know, like I can remember like, I think New Mexico was like the second weekend was like we went Arizona and then we'd hit El Paso and then we went up and we played New Mexico and a couple before we went and spent like a week and a half in Texas, which was really like Texas was when I was like, wow, we are we're rock stars. This is cool. But it's like I remember playing New Mexico and we pull into the parking lot and there was probably like 50 kids waiting there. We get off the bus and like people are handing us gifts and like wanting pictures and asking us, you know, (laughs) we want to park. And it's just like all of a sudden it was like, wow, you know, like these first few shows were kind of a warm up. And then we played like a huge theater in, in, in uh, New Mexico, I remember. And it was like a really old, like cement building. It was it was really special. And and that was like the first show where I was like, oh, this is going to be really fun. And Texas was off the hook. And we just, you know, every, every show just seemed to get better. I mean, we did have our, our trouble, but, you know, our our, our uh tour bus broke down in uh indiana and it started snowing and we rented a u-haul and had our techs drive us while you know this was in the 90s so we slept in the back in the u-haul as we're driving to the gig and we were so late to the gig that uh we missed our slot but warrant actually didn't do an encore and let us get up and do five songs so we had to so the promoter had to pay us basically because we we performed our duties you know but that was that was the closest we came to like screwing everything up but it wasn't our fault i mean the bus broke down (laughs) wow that is amazing so i also know um hair metal uh i i mean i we're really out of the hair metal phase now so for for these sorts of rock bands uh, I know that the audience split skewed female versus if you're going to see Metallica, it's heavy, heavy male, you know, or something yeah. like that. W- was that the experience on the whole tour? Was it was it pretty, pretty female heavy? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Between Janie and Warrant and Heaven and, you know, Joe and he, like the girls love Joe for whatever reason. And, uh, um, you know, L.A. Guns with Phil and Tracy. So, yeah, there was always, you know, and that was the fun thing was like. I was a, 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 a newbie rock star guy, like new to this lifestyle. And so we'd play the show. And then the funnest thing would you'd wait till like halfway into LA gun set. And then you go out to the bar and then you can see like this thing, people turn and look <laughs> and all the heads are always turning. And then the next thing, you know, somebody's tapping you on the shoulder and somebody's buying you a beer and then, you know, their friend wants to talk to you. And then, you know, just like that stupid movie, uh, which I love, uh, almost famous. It's like, you end up back at somebody's house, you know, like, I don't know how many times we had to go pick up Kyle or Joe from, you know, the tour bus is going down like a dirt road because we got to pick up <laughs> and the idiot just took off, you know, and no cell phone. So, you know, we're on a pay phone going, where are you at? Writing an address down, <laughs> you know? Wow. 
so you're you're on the road with Warren. Warren's a big headliner, and I'm presuming they're doing their big choreographed stage show where they're like getting on their knees and playing and and doing all of that sort of stuff. And you've already said that they treated you well. Did you did you hang out with those guys? You know, did you like party with them and and become yeah. friendly? So much so that it made the Bang Tango guys jealous. Like they started giving me a hard time because the Warren guys would be like, come ride on the bus with us. So I'd go from one city to the next and hang out with them because they were just super chill dudes and they were really cool. And Janie and I would get the football out before each show and we'd like, I'd run patterns and he'd throw the ball or we'd, you know, get thing Beatles or something cool like that, you know? And at that point, you know, as sad as it is looking these years later, he, he, his problem was drinking even back then because halfway into the tour, their tour manager used to come backstage and he'd have like his hands full and there'd be gin bottles and vodka. And he'd go, this isn't our rider, but don't let these guys see it. Just take it, please. You know, like we, uh, we got to get Janie through this show and on stage, you know, or it would be kind of messed up like that, you know? And sometimes he'd miss like call, you know, like we'd be at the hotel sleeping and he'd be the only guy not out and you'd be going, Oh man, I hope he's okay. You know? And eventually he'd come out, you know, looking all haggard and we'd drive to the next city. Cause we tried to keep the caravan together. You know, we tried to keep the three okay. tour buses together. And even if we didn't get a hotel that night, they always had a hotel, you know? So and they would also like do cool things like they'd get up early and get on their bus and let us go have the hotel to shower and get ready, you know, and it was all like a way for us to save some money and, and, and make a little money, you know, cause we'd get a paycheck each week, but we'd also get per diem. And it's like, if we don't get the hotel room, we can get a little more per diem and all, any little extra money in your pocket's nice. Cause when you're in Texas and you're at a pawn shop and you see like a vintage guitar, it's like, okay, <laughs> I got a little dough. So why not? You know, I mean, everything's kind of cool that way. And how were the L.A. Guns guys? Was there any friction? Because the they, at least the first breakup wasn't soon after this. So did you it, did you see anything there? Uh, not too much, you know. I mean, Tracy, he and I got along well. We jammed a few times, but he, you know, they all had their own hotel room, so it wasn't even like us, where it's like if we got a hotel room, it's like three of us in one room, two of us in the other. <laughs> you know, he had spot so i'd go chill with him and jam and he was super cool and i'd play pool with steve riley phil wasn't around all that much and johnny was very cool he was just one of the guys so i, I didn't sense a lot of tension you know i mean most of the tension was sort of inner band uh you know like my and, and saying that it's like uh, the, the bang tango guys definitely always felt like we deserve more we were better than than we were billed or whatever you know like they would always feel like this this disrespect if if you know we had a 40 minute set and we played 38 minutes they'd be you know oh they're dissing us you know so and it's like dude they're cool like let's i'm just gonna go hang on their bus oh so mark's a traitor mark's a, mark thinks he's in warren it's like dude i'm just they're cool guys i'm hanging out you know like i mean yeah they have a chandelier on their tour bus because it's so nice but <laughs> old bus so we're checking for roaches between the cushions you know <laughs> One of the things I remember about uh, watching a Fate's Warning documentary was they got a tour bus and they were, I don't know, somewhere it looked hot. They weren't wearing shirts or whatever. It broke down. They got another tour bus brought up. They drive a little bit further and that one breaks down. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, there's definitely a lot of issues with tour buses, you know, and I mean. We toured in the fall, so it was there was snow plenty. And you know, snow in Chicago is uh, you you know. <laughs> we played the Thirsty Whale, and I'll just never forget how packed the snow was, but also how packed the club was. I remember like I couldn't even go, like I couldn't do the trick of going into the club after and hanging out because it was just like it was like 
elbow to elbow, you know, like you just couldn't even move in that place. You know, even New York, I remember one of one of my coolest memories was we played a couple different shows in New York while we were there because Warren had a night off and, you know, we want to play as much as we can. So we played in Brooklyn and the same promoter uh, let us stay at his place and then put us up uh, the next night. We played in Harlem at this really kind of hip club in Harlem Um, and it was Joe's birthday. But the night before was Thanksgiving. And so we're. His hotel was in the uh, World Trade Center center, like in that same complex. So I'll, I'll never forget walking out of his apartment complex and looking up while the snow's coming down at the two trade centers and watching the snow come down and going, man, this is like the life. Like we're on the road or we just had Thanksgiving. We're going to go play a huge show in New York City, you know, like. It was, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool time. <laughs> Did you think it was never going to end that now you've gotten to, you've achieved a certain level of success and now it's going to stay this way forever? Uh, you know, I, I, being a forward thinker, yeah, I was a little worried that it wouldn't stay like this. I was hoping it would, you know, but I knew we also had stuff going on with kind of record companies and, you know, we still, even at the New York point, we still had, you know, another month on the road. So it was still like, you know, and honestly, being my first kind of tour, I was more bummed seeing it over than I was like one of those guys going, oh, man, another show. Another. I was kind of <laughs> like, damn it, we're, we're done. We're like Nebraska and then we're going to play Wyoming and then we're going to be playing Reno and then we're going to be playing Sacramento and then we're done. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> you know, it was like it was ending up ending up like that, you know, but it was. It was definitely one of the best times in my life just to be out and playing music and meet cool people and doing all that. So what about gear disasters? You didn't have a tech, right? You were you were doing your own thing? No, we all had techs on this tour. Oh, yeah. Okay. So did you yeah, did no. you have anything where you where you swung the guitar over your shoulder like Ingve and it flew off into the audience? I, I Knock on wood had pretty good luck. I had my tech is an amazing dude, Big Scott, and he actually went on to work for Ronnie James Dio up until Dio passed away. He was like Dio's valet, basically. He was like did everything with him. But Big Scott, we had a, a, a deal because, you know, I didn't want my guitars to get stolen. So the deal was he would come up on stage as soon as I was done. He'd grab my two guitars and take them to the bus because I always felt everything safe in the bus. The bus driver. Basically, the bus driver drives you to the show, and then he goes and gets a hotel room, and then he comes back because usually we'll leave after the show. So at like 2 a.m., we're driving to the next city. So he's been sleeping, so the bus is locked all the time. We all have our own key. So I know if my guitars are on there, it's good. So we played in Houston, Texas, and he grabbed my guitars, and I'm sitting on the bus, and like 20 minutes later, he comes back. He's like, uh... Did, did you grab your pedal board? I'm like, no, why? And he's like, dude, it's, it's gone. I'm like, shut up. And, you know, I mean, Bang Tango, the biggest song is Someone Like You, which has a delay pedal to start the song. <laughs> like, I play in this band without a delay pedal. And so uh, he felt awful. Like, they tried to, I mean, the club, again, I think it had like five, it held four or 5,000 people. And it, and it was like elbow to elbow in this club too in Houston. And I remember that he, they tried to like get security to look around and find or something out. But you know, they were like, sorry, dude, I don't know. He might've like ran out the side door with it. We had no idea, you know? So, so we had to go find a pawn shop and he bought me all new pedals. So and he felt terrible and it lost his per diem, but. Wow. So someone, someone out there in internet land has Mark Tremalgia's pedal board from the Warrant LA Guns Bang Tango Tour. Boss DD3, a, a real tube screamer from the 70s, a Wawa pedal, an EQ, 
and I think it was a chorus or a phaser, one of those two. I can't remember which one, but yeah. And were you doing Marshall, Marshall Stack at this time? Yeah, half stacks. Yeah. We were on, you know, our, Scott also did the, ba- the bass and the other guitar. So we had one guy for all three guitar. Okay. Joe anybody because he didn't need anything and then we had a drum tech so we had those and then a tour manager so it was just three additional people so there was like you know eight of us on the bus including the bus driver so it's always nice and you know joe being the singer he got the back lounge so you know we all we all had our own bunks but he got he got to take over the whole back lounge <laughs> so you you get off tour the tour is successful you're not sure now what's going to happen with bang tango because you're having some trouble with the label you got dropped and all that stuff that we already talked about um but now you're back in la um can you just now call up Janie or eric turner from warrant and say hey do you guys want to go out tonight or i mean so how is that dynamic work are you friends now or were you work proximity associates we were work proximity associates, I would say, because we got back and they had two weeks off and then they went to Europe for like three months. So basically I saw them. We all kind of hung out one time when we got back and then they took off. And then the next time I saw them was maybe two years later. And I remember, you know, going, Jerry, Eric, what's going on? And they're like, hey. And I'm like, Mark, I bang tango. They're like, oh, cool, man. And I remember walking away from it going like, wow, that was weird, man. Like I spent every night hanging on their bus and partying with them. And now they're like, like, who are you? You know, but it's like total work proximity thing. You know, I mean. And so last question here before we wrap this up, that that was all just for, for those of us who I've been on tour, right, but not nearly the same, not even close to the same level. It was, yeah, we're in a van and showering at, at truck stops. And at day eight, I'm often calling my wife and saying, oh, man, I'm I'm ready to come home. So it's not, it's not quite the same thing. But um, but being on tour is a lot of fun for sure. Um, not a lot of <laughs> and uh, any anything you would change from from that experience you know would you would you do it all the same now uh well the couple things i would change is i'd like to have a drummer that was rehearsed so like from the first show we were actually pretty much together um i wish i had an iphone because the, i would have had some great pictures and memories like physical memories to look at right. because you know it was at a time where just you kind of lived you know like you didn't you didn't go, oh, I need a picture of that. I need to save this memento. You know, I think I had the, I have the tour schedule somewhere, like the tour book, um, pro, uh, whatever, the itinerary is the word I'm looking for. Um, I have that somewhere still, you know, so I have like those vague, vague memories of some of that stuff, you know, but I mean, we, we played some amazing theaters. I played the Alvilla Rosa where poor Dimebag met his end, you know, I stood right on that spot in the stage. Like I see the video and I go, Oh my God, like wow. I was, I was right there. I had friends at that show. Cause I had a friend in Columbus who came out and I remember we watched LA guns and warrant together in the crowd. And he had to stop people from bugging me. Cause people were coming up with dude, I'm drunk. You want some want a beer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so great. Uh, so I, I think we'll end it there again. The experiences are, are just so much fun to hear about. So I, I always appreciate you, uh, taking the time and, and, talking about this I'm, uh, as I told you before we started getting some good feedback on the podcast you know we don't have thousands of listeners yet but but I think people are interested because the stories are interesting and you come off you're a genuinely good dude who's done cool things so so thanks for all of that appreciate it man well hopefully I'll have some good stories with the old 
bullet boys and enough's enough to work. <laughs> All right. Right on buddy. I'll, uh, right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Be safe. All right. You have a good new year and I'll, uh, yeah, you too. talk to you on the next podcast. All right. Right on. <laughs>